Hey there, folks. It is producer Brock, and I hope you are well. I am staring at the sliver of a fingernail moon hanging over the western sky from my back porch here in Salem, Oregon. And I am really glad that you're here listening to this episode. Excited to hear from Chris Smith. And uh, Chris Smith, as you know, uh, we believe can change a good number of things. uh, And we believe he's the right person for the job. And because we don't answer to anybody except our donors, we can advocate for a position. So there you go. Anyways, look forward to uh, sharing the interview with Chris Smith. After the interview, stay tuned for some updates from the road from Guthrie. Guthrie, uh, as you might have heard last week, headed all the way across the state of Oregon. And he's, uh, he's, I think, plushly appointed now on the east side of the state. And, uh, yeah. So he's got a couple of twists and turns to his story that he's going to share through voice memo updates after the close of the show credits. Two, three, four, five. Yeah, this would be number six. Holy yeah. crap. Wow. We need I never to... got my patch for five times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it. I don't know how I'll get it to you. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Joan. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Covering bicycling, trains and transit adventures and life hacks. And today... We have Chris for Metro again. <laughs> Yay! Yeah! Chris, how's it going? Good. Great. Cool. Welcome back. Um, and you'll be talking a little bit about just you're continuing to run. You're in the run right. now. I, I survived the primary. Yeah. Yay! All right. <laughs> All right. Congratulations. Thank you. We'll talk a little bit about that. And today we have also another new voice with us, or... Well, neither of these are new voices, actually. Chris, this is your second time on the show. And Joan, I want to say fourth? Third? Third or fourth time. Yeah, I wasn't sure either. Uh, Third time on the show, first time as a host. Yeah, it's an escalation. It's very exciting. (laughs) Things have escalated, and and you'll be filling in while Guthrie is away. You and Armando will be switching on and off, and... so happy that you have agreed to do this. Um, yeah, welcome. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Yeah. I'm delighted to be here. Right on. In the meantime, how how have you been? Because it's been a while. Um, so I've been, you know, all things considered, I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, lucky to have a job where I can work from home and I'm healthy and my kids are healthy. So, you know. I went camping last week, took a little vacation for the first time since we stopped counting time. And so uh, (laughs) that was great. It was great to get out of town a little bit and be in the woods and relax and and, and not feel bad that I wasn't working. Yeah. (laughs) Not be at home for a little bit. So So, I'm good. So kind of a reference to, um, I think it was your first or second time on... uh, you, we talked about uh, 
library sciences mm-hmm. and um uh yeah your job is a librarian um yeah how's that going so i yeah. work um in higher ed how do you how and- do you shush people from home Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a note of that joke to tell my dad because he hasn't made that joke yet, and so he likes to talking talk about you know. Yes. What, what do they give you a degree in shushing? <laughs> thanks, thanks, Dad. Shushing one hundred and one. Um, so I I am not a fan. I am not a quiet person myself. I am a, not a fan of shushing. But libraries are very well. Actually, I was going to say libraries are lively places these days, but libraries are not lively. Not anymore. At all yeah. These days. No, that was one of the things we talked about when we did the the kind of librarian show was how uh, the myth of the quiet library is, mm-hmm, is just mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I, I guess that I guess it's 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 uh, happening now. But uh, so we have, I mean, a lot of our services are uh, things that we can provide virtually. But one of the big focuses of my job, um, well, since before the pandemic, but since then, is basically helping students, well, and faculty and staff through our chat reference service. So we used to have a reference desk and chat reference and email and all that, and now that is. Um, we're not at our actual desk anymore. Um, and so we have really stepped up the amount of services that we're offering virtually through chat. And um, it's great. And one of the things I really like about it is um, how effusive our users can be through um, the chat medium. Um, they're just, um, I have been called an angel. I have been <laughs> offered, you know, I, I mean, I, it's just uh, our our students are great and they're really appreciative of the work that we're doing. And um, it's so important to be able to, I mean, they're so stressed too. We're all so stressed, but students are not, you know, like everybody, they don't have a lot of control over their lives right now, even more so than usual. They're worried about if they can graduate, they may have kids at home, they may be, you know, so anything we can do to make things a little bit easier for them. Um, they're so appreciative and it's been really uh, nice to be able to help them out Right on. that way, continue to do our jobs. Um, how is it looking going forward? You, you are a librarian at PSU, correct? Yeah, Portland yeah. State. Yeah. I guess there's, there's in my experience, um, working with uh, the public school system, there's sort of these two schools of thought of like, okay, let's revolutionize everything going forward because nothing's going to look like it used to. And then there's how do we get back to normal kind of school of thought? Um, where do you think like PSU is sitting or maybe, maybe not PSU as a whole, but like in, in your department? That's a really good question. That's a, you know, that's a really interesting framing um, because yeah, I'm definitely in the, we're not going back to normal right. or, or normal is going to be really different moving forward. Um, I don't know if uh, we're ready, quite ready for the revolution. For sure. Some people are, I mean, there've been some really easy shifts and we were already buying a lot of eBooks, but we were also buying a lot of print books, but right now eBooks, it's just, uh, we can still get print books and we still have some people working in the building who can process those materials. It takes a lot longer to do all that. But ebooks are just 
available right away. So um, I would much rather hold a book in my hand and read it, but also I would much rather be able to read it than not read it. Um, right. That's not exactly a revolution, though. Um, I, you know, I think the thing is uh, is that Portland State has been pretty uh, realistic this whole time, and so they haven't been. Uh, it's it's more of a it's. Um, a state university. It's it's a public university. Uh, we have a lot of um, returning students. A lot of folks who are first generation. We have a lot of commuter students, um, and we don't have some of the same pressures that larger um, flagship campuses have. Like huge. We have a sports program, but it's not like the money maker. It's not like at Oregon State and University of Oregon. They have they have a lot more students living on campus. Those programs are just a much bigger part of their revenue stream. Um, so I guess I'll answer your question and say, I don't know that we're quite in the like revolution type phase, but we have definitely been trying pretty hard. We have some people who are working in the building doing really important work, sending out um, laptops and technology to students. And we're trying to sort of preserve their ability to do that, which may mean limiting access to the actual building right? right so it's this it's this um, balance act of like how do we serve our students and what really is a library it's not just the building or the space right on yeah 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 it's oh. it's interesting um and maybe maybe i i put it a little bit too uh <laughs> like one or the other like i'm sure it, yeah well, i know that there's there's a lot of is it uh blend between the two that's i guess maybe just uh the two ends of the spectrum it's interesting to hear though uh psu moving forward some of the steps that they're taking yeah and we are uh psu for a while has been saying that there's only a few classes that are going to be meeting on campus and those are the ones where there's really no way to meet virtually mm -hmm. um and I, and I'll also say, um, so my alma mater um, is the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I don't know if you saw the news today. Um, you know, they start early, right? So they, oh. students went back to campus two weeks ago. Classes started last Monday and today. Uh, and they were on campus. The um, state, the statewide uh, governing board said that those schools had to open in person oh. um, and they didn't even have, they only had a small percentage of classes actually meeting in person. Um, by the end of the first week of classes, they just had all these clusters of COVID and today oh, they announced that their um, classes will be all online as of Wednesday. Wow. So one of the thing, the, so PSU doesn't start until late September. We're on the, term system, not the semester system, the quarter system. And one of the advantages, I mean, not that I, one of the advantages of starting later is that the we're going to be able to see everything yeah. that happens. You can, you can learn from else. other people's mistakes or, or uh, mishaps. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, and actually, and, and kids are going back to school there too. A lot of my friends are posting the, you know, how every year, um, your, your friends with kids post the first day of school pictures. Yeah. So I'm starting to see all those today and um, kids are, you know, wearing masks or they're sitting at home and they're back to school picture, but ah. um, it's a different time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But I still love the pictures. So. <laughs> well, when, when we start school, I'll send you a picture of my first day then. <laughs> yes. Yes. I want to, I want to, yeah. Uh, I want to see that. Last I heard, we are starting November 5th. Um, it would not surprise me if that changes, but uh, 
I believe it's remote learning starting sometime in early September and then uh, mm-hmm. in person November 5th, uh, if all things stay somewhat the way they are. Yeah, I am. Um... I could talk for a long time about my thoughts <laughs> on the failure of our state and government to prioritize uh, school, especially sure. for the younger kids. Sure. But, uh, yeah. I'm going to like kind of shoehorn this into uh, talking about Metro in that <laughs> what uh, role would Metro have with education? Would they have any? Well, a, a Metro has some important facilities. Uh, the one that comes to mind immediately is the zoo. There are a lot of school-based programs uh, that make use of the zoo as a resource. Uh, and the zoo has reopened with some significant limitations. They've kind of got a, a one-way flow through the facility, as I understand it, and a lot of the indoor spaces are closed, but you can go back to the zoo now. Oh, I didn't even know that. I'm going to have to go to the zoo now. <laughs> I mean, I guess I think that maybe the podcast should record app from the zoo. From the zoo? <laughs> maybe Never for Chris's like, victory party <laughs> at the zoo. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it does seem like the zoo, because our zoo here is, I mean, not completely, but a lot of it is outdoors. So uh, it seems like a, a better environment to be able to open right now safely. Yeah. The other metro environment that's not open is the Performing Arts Center. So the, the right. Portland Five downtown is it's actually owned by the city but operated by Metro, uh, and that is still firmly closed. So, uh, wow. you know, all the, all the school kids that would troop to a performance at the Performing Arts Center are going to have to do something else for a while. <laughs> Maybe the zoo amphitheater. <laughs> no, no indoor spaces. <laughs> oh, has the zoo been a major issue in any Metro candidate platform? <laughs> the well, I, this, this is a little bizarre. That's a tangent, but um, I have been contacted by a number of folks who are concerned about the welfare of the elephants at oh. the zoo. Um, and, okay. you know, I, I'm running on climate change, so I'm, I'm right. trying not to get distracted, but I've told those folks that uh, when elected, I'll be happy to have a serious conversation about that. And if we need to educate the public a bit, we can do that. How easy is it to kind of get distracted? Because I imagine, <laughs> I imagine, like, because your your role, if elected, and and we should maybe uh, segue into that, but your role would be pretty widespread, right? Uh, sure, that's probably a good opportunity to remind folks of what the uh, the things that Metro is in charge of are. Um, so the the one, of course, that attracted me is transportation planning. All right. the federal transportation dollars for the region flow through Metro, and Metro has the responsibility to produce a regional transportation plan, which basically says how the transportation systems of all the counties and the cities and the state fit together and work as a whole. Uh, and that's you know the field that I've been working in for uh, you know, a couple decades as a citizen activist. Uh, Metro also does uh, a similar function for land use. So we make sure that all the land use plans from the cities and counties fit together. We have a big vision called Metro 2040, and uh, and we're we're creeping closer to 2040, so pretty soon we're going to start planning for Metro 2060, um, which will be interesting. Uh, But then uh, other functions of Metro, we've mentioned the visitor facility. So in addition to the zoo and the Performing Arts Center, uh, there's the Expo Center, uh, and there is the Convention Center. Uh, Those are also both facilities that are closed although we're 
now doing drive-in movies at the Expo Center, so it's getting some use. Um, Metro operates all the Pioneer cemeteries, so you know the cemeteries that basically no, nobody else could pay for anymore. Metro oh. <laughs> inherited, uh, and then the one that uh, uh, probably not many people think about is uh, all your garbage, uh, all the uh, solid waste and recycling in the region flows through Metro transfer stations, and the, the garbage goes out to a landfill in Eastern Oregon um, that that Metro coordinates all that transportation. Um, so all so of the are, all of the um, the companies that that collect garbage that's that's coordinated through through Metro as well, right? So the local okay. hauler that yep. picks up at your you know your front lawn uh, is uh, typically franchised by the city you live in. Okay, uh, but then they take the waste to a Metro facility or a facility licensed by Metro, where it's you know the recycling is pulled out and processed, and the solid waste is separated and trucked out to landfill. Right on. I just want to say that I do think about garbage um, and uh, because I think curbside composting is my favorite of innovations in the garbage landscape. Uh, I Well, since recycling and I don't, I'm not aware of any other <laughs> innovations. And, <laughs> and, uh, but, but is that so, but is that something, cause Portland does that, but not all of the Metro region does curbside composting. So sorry, this is getting into the weeds, like literally about, about uh, those yard waste bins, but so does Metro process that too? Um, that goes through the transfer facilities yeah. and to a specific composting facility. Yep. And the, uh, I think the area where we're still innovating there is having enough capacity to handle the commercial composting. You might recall we started it, we stopped it. And I think mm-hmm. we're trying to bring it back online again, uh, but we have to have enough uh, composting capability to do that and hopefully located where it doesn't smell up somebody's neighborhood, which was an issue the first time around. Right. <laughs> yes, right, 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 right. So it's not literally having land space, it's having land space in an appropriate place. Right. Kind of. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Metro is actually thinking about building a new transfer station um, because the the Metro South facility is getting uh, over capacity, and they're in the process of doing a siting now. And there are a number of locations they're considering. There's a community input process around that. But I'm not going to get distracted by that because that's not what I'm campaigning on. <laughs> I was I was actually going to say so. Speaking of getting Wait, distracted, because I have like five questions and I want to talk about the drive-in movies. <laughs> Can you bike in? Can you bike into the drive-in movie? And and I think if you can't, that should you should probably shift all of your campaign focus to that. Well, I, I think I wrote some zoning code language that says you probably have to be able to bike in, although you, you have to have an Thank FM you. radio or you won't hear the movies. <laughs> Hmm. All right. Uh, okay. Thank we can you. do this, though. That's Good just time. a matter of getting a, a, a an app, right? An FM uh, trans or receiver? Mm, no, I think you need hardware to pick up an yeah, FM signal. Do. I don't yeah. think you, you just need do like the software. A boombox. A boombox. Yeah. Right. With, that would do it. With batteries. With an hmm. antenna. Those things Solar are like battery. antiques now. <laughs> Okay. Or you just need to like hover outside of somebody's car if hope they have the windows down. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's probably not vi- very virus safe if you do that. <laughs> Six feet. So right? I would just like to say is the question, how do you not get distracted? The answer is definitely like, don't have Joan asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> don't let Joan be your campaign manager. <laughs> <laughs> 
So maybe this is a good time to go back and recap the primary. Right. <laughs> right. So yeah. there, there, the primary was a fascinating process. There were five of us running, mm-hmm. uh, and every one of us had some, you know, serious claim to legitimacy. So it's not like there are any joke candidates or anybody, uh, you know, we could not take seriously. Um, so I was uh, actually very happy to be in the number two position. Uh, the first place was Mary Nolan, who's uh, a former legislator who will be my competitor in the runoff election. And we'll talk about that. Uh, she got a, uh, about 31,000 votes. Uh, I got just over 20,000 votes. Uh, then Cameron Witten uh, came yeah. in about 2,500 votes behind me. Uh, and and he's since gone on to notoriety, raising a million and a half dollars for the Black Resilience Fund. So yeah. good for him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Karen Spencer uh, and Mary Pivido, who's uh, been an air quality activist and, and somebody I count as a friend. So uh, very competitive race, uh, a little bit hard to have strategy because um, you know, you, you don't know what's going on in the public mind. These are pretty low information races. So I think, uh, in the end, it was probably the sprocket endorsement that put me over. Uh, <laughs> maybe it was assisted a little by the limit week endorsement that could be, but you know, that combination was clearly what set oh, me yeah. apart. It's so, the one, so two punch. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, that, that, um, that must've been, yeah. When you got that endorsement, that must've felt pretty fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that was really our strategy uh, in the primary was to, to, based on my experience, because I've, you know, I've worked on uh, key committees at Metro and, and certainly uh, spent a lot of time in the, the policy areas that Metro's uh, centered on. So, the, you know, the, the strategy was really to get endorsements that highlighted that. And I think, um, you know, there, there were a couple that we got per plan and a couple we didn't get. But, uh, you know, between things like the Street Trust and the Willamette Week and the Portland Mercury as well. So I, the way it kind of broke is that uh, Mary got the establishment papers, the Oregonian uh, and the Tribune. And I'm a little annoyed the Oregonian didn't decide they didn't have time to interview five candidates. So they picked a subset of three of us, which I didn't happen to be in. So Oh, interesting. <laughs> uh, but the establishment papers went for Mary, and then the, week, the progressive weeklies uh, went for me. So I think having both the, uh, the Mercury and the Willamette Week helped a lot. I do hope we see, I voted for you, Chris, but I, I think that there are a lot of folks who uh, share the thought that I do that. Uh, I hope we see Cameron running for uh, something uh, again down the road. Absolutely. Because I think he yeah. has a lot to bring. I, yeah. And I, yeah, honestly, I think I benefited from the circumstances. I, I'm a policy wonk. I'm, you know, yeah. I don't apologize for that, but <laughs> I know what I am. Uh, Cameron is much more charismatic than I am. And if C- Cameron had been able to go door to door, I suspect he might have uh, pulled past me. So in some ways, I probably benefited a little bit from the, the circumstances that we were campaigning in. Yeah, I, I think he, I mean, I, I really like what he's doing now. And, mm-hmm. and uh, man, talk about like turning lemons into lemonade. He like turned lemons into gold. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's pretty amazing. He's doing great work. Uh, doing, yeah, doing yeah. really great work. I hope to have him on. Uh, I honestly didn't even know he was he was running. I had been following his Twitter for some time, and then I just quit Twitter. Like this was like years ago. Um, and it, they, so you can do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's a twelve step program. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, you know, that's an interesting contrast between my opponent and myself. So, yeah. uh, you know, so at this point I have two Twitter accounts, right? I, I still have my personal Twitter account, uh, Chris Smith US, uh, and I have a campaign Twitter account, Chris for Metro, and uh, we're, which uh, my staff actually writes most of those tweets, but uh, but they 
they understand my thought process. They haven't mm. managed to tweet anything that I wouldn't have said myself. So that's a good thing. Uh, but we're being very active at staying abreast of current issues and letting voters know where we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Nolan uh, last updated her Twitter account in 2012 when she was running against Amanda Fritz for city council. So uh, if you're trying to fer- fi- follow Mary on social media, you're not going to find much. Uh, and I think that's it's important that voters have that way of knowing what candidates are doing. So I'm trying to be transparent, you know, let them know how you know, how I'm processing Black Lives Matter because you know there are places where Metro can impact that, even though Metro has nothing to do with police. There's certainly uh, a lot of uh, equity issues where, where Metro's work comes into play. Uh, so I'm trying to stay on top of that stuff. Um, yeah, and you wrote a pretty decent essay to anybody who was already on your email list, uh, specifically yeah. stating like where Metro's. Um, role is in that and where uh-huh. you would like to see metro going forward with that you know like like you had just mentioned like metro doesn't have a whole lot to do with the police in general but there are areas related to this you know as far as equity and uh housing i think was one right. main one that you had talked about in your essay yeah i mean the, the whole concept of single family neighborhoods uh really arose out of racially exclusive policies back in the first half of the last century. Uh, and, you know, in, in Portland, I'll take a little bit of credit. The city council just finally passed residential infill, oh, which yeah. is uh, you know, a huge step towards dismantling that and allowing things like duplexes and quadplexes in all the single family neighborhoods, uh, which are typically the highest opportunity neighborhoods. You know, if you want to be near a transit line, uh, they all run through those you know, single family neighborhoods. If uh, you want good access to jobs, typically those neighborhoods have uh, you know, pretty good access to the transportation system. Um, so it, it's an important well, and, reform. And a, and a lot of that um, kind of housing that is now um, allowed is the kind of housing that already exists and, and, and then was sort of outlawed for a while, as I understand it. So, um, for example, I live in a house that clearly at one time was a duplex of some kind, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then and there are a lot of houses uh, in my neighborhood that are older and you can see these, you know, that there was a lot of this kind of development that then um, I guess through exclusionary and some, you know, racist laws and other reasons uh, became not able to be built depending yeah, on the neighborhood. And exactly. There's a lot of what we call missing middle housing, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, the courtyard apartments, the quad or sixplexes uh, that you can see through uh, a lot of Portland's, you know, older established neighborhoods, the neighborhoods that were built along streetcar lines originally, and that's some of our best love housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, in the 40s and 50s, we made it illegal. Well, now we're bringing it back. So that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So while we're talking about my matchup with Mary, uh, yep. you know, besides her social media habits, uh, I think uh, the, the biggest single issue difference that I know we have, and uh, you know, honestly, because we only had one public debate in the primary, um, it's not clear where all, all our issue differences are. We're going to have to discover those in the fall campaign. But the the one where we're certainly distinguished is one that Joan will certainly be familiar with. She's one of my fellow No More Freeways warriors. Uh, we bonded testifying together in front mm-hmm. of the Oregon Transportation Commission. Uh, and Mary in the City Club debate in May said that, you know, she thought ODOT had made the necessary compromises and the project ought to go forward. Um, 
interesting to note that about eight weeks after that, uh, Albina Vision walked away from the table for that project uh, because ODOT has really made no compromises <laughs> and hasn't changed their original design. So uh, the I-5 freeway project is definitely one where Mary and I are on opposite sides of the, of the spectrum. Yeah, I, um, uh, Chris and I both testified. Was it was it to the Oregon Transportation Commission? Is that what it was? And yeah, um, down the lake as we go, they were meeting. Yeah, and and uh, I gave this uh, teary testimony, and then Chris had to go. Right I had to follow him. it <laughs> with with my policy walk. Oh man! <laughs> but it was great. He was so gracious and so good. And I'm I I I mean I didn't like I was sort of on the edge of tears and trying not to cry and uh, you know. Uh, anyway, trying to just, you know, speak my truth about the impact of this freeway expansion on my, you know, uh, kids old school and on my neighborhood. And then, and then Chris followed up with all of this. Like I had, I brought all this emotion and then he followed up and he's like, look, here's the deal. Here's the facts. And it was so clear to me, Chris, that you have just been paying attention to these things for a very long time and you understand them just in this incredibly, you know, I, I mean, I'm the, I'm the kind of thing where, I try to do my research, but I don't have this like long, extensive history of, of understanding how it's all come about. But you've been involved in doing this work for yeah, I've been doing this for twenty years now. I mean, I, I joined TPAC, which is the uh, the technocratic transportation committee at Metro, the Transportation Policy Alternatives Committee. Uh, I think back in two thousand three or two thousand five, um, uh, and you know that that's I'm when pretty we were. Sh- Oh, sorry, that's where we're starting to talk about uh, a, a big transportation ballot measure, which is another topic we'll get to before we finish today. Um, but, you know, I've been watching that process at Metro for, for, you know, more than a decade and a half. So I've got a pretty good understanding of the process, but, you know, I have to say, Joan, we made a pretty good one, two punch, but uh, we did not change any votes on that commission. <laughs> I don't think that those folks were going to change their minds based on what they said, uh, but I think it's still really important that that we went um, and put a little pressure on them um, to do that. And yeah, Albina Vision pulling out of that project was just such a big deal. And I, you know, at the beginning, um, it almost seemed, uh, maybe this is the case, but it almost seemed like ODOT was maybe trying, hoping to like push it through even more with the pandemic happening. Like they were trying to accelerate it because they were worried that it would, lo- I mean, like it would of lose all the things we should be spending momentum? money on in this state. Yeah. Well, yeah, the inability of that process to actually listen to the community uh, is one of the reasons for another one of my campaign platforms, which is that uh, the planning for freeways inside urban areas uh, should not be done by ODOT. It should be done by what's called the Metropolitan Planning Organization. So every uh, every metropolitan area that gets federal money has to have uh, a metropolitan planning uh, organization. In a lot of cases, it's it'll be an appointed body of, you know, city councilors and county commissioners uh, in that metro. It, in, in our case, it's metro itself. So the metro council, uh, in cooperation with JPAC, which is another one of their committees, uh, forms the Metropolitan Planning Organization. So I think we would be far better off uh, you know, in our region uh, if metro were planning the freeways, things like the I-5 bridge replacement and the Rose Quarter and you know what else happens on the freeways in this region than uh, ODOT, who's, you know, basic purpose in life seems to be moving single occupancy vehicles. Uh, I'm not supposed to say that anymore. In campaign (laughs) mode, it's drive alone auto trips. 
not SOVs. Drive alone <laughs> auto like, trips. I didn't yes, even know. So there's there's a euphemism more understandable for a euphemism. language. It's <laughs> like double euphemism because single occupancy uh, vehicle was already sort of a euphemism in and of itself. Uh, wow, that's wow. Just drive speak, alone right? auto trips. That's yep. what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those are those are okay. So, um, I, yeah, I keep wanting to ask about uh, if if you're trying to kill the suburbs, but I, maybe this is not. <laughs> no, it's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the suburbs have their own unique problems that they have to work out, but yeah. they are yeah. important places where people live. Uh, <laughs> and their transportation system has to work as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned the I five uh, bridge replacement, so that's uh-huh. that's well, it's an interstate, so that's ODOT's purview currently. Um, and one of right. the one of the issues with that, and, and maybe stop me if I'm putting words in your, into your mouth, is the return of the Columbia River crossing project, mm-hmm. right? Right. They, they, they've changed the name. They now call it the IBR, the Interstate Bridge Replacement, instead right. of the CRC, because the CRC has so many negative memories associated <laughs> with it, you know, including Rightly spending so. something like $130 million on planning and not accomplishing anything. Um, and then, you know, that's something that will, again, come to Metro the next few years, and I'd like to be uh, you know, in position to influence that heavily, because uh, it, it is you know, one more thing that's in District 5, right? Uh, District 5 goes all the way to the Columbia River. Right. I think uh, one thing I've heard folks um, expressing some concern about, and you can tell me if you think this is is a reasonable concern or not, but um, that what ODOT's trying to do is package these two things together so that it feels like in order to do one, we have to do the other, like basically in order to make a, in, you know, and then I heard something about that maybe transit has come off uh, you know any plans for the bridge is that or, or sorry i should say light rail um. um i think transit is still very much on the table uh, i think the, the governor and others have made it clear we have to have high capacity transit uh, i think what we're hearing is that uh, southwest washington has the preference for bus rapid transit uh, because that's the system they've built on their side of the river um, so somewhere there's going to have to be you know an intersect point between light rail on our side and uh, bus rapid transit on their side and you know whether that which side of the bridge that transfer happens on i think it's still up for debate and i'm frankly open to uh, either form of high capacity transit uh, across the bridge but i think you know my bottom line, and I've expressed this to a couple of people who just kind of shake their heads that have been part of the bridge project before, is that, um, you know, I'm happy to talk about a more seismically resilient bridge. Uh, you know, I'm delighted to talk about getting high capacity transit across the bridge. I want to talk about how you get good non-freeway access to Hayden Island so they don't have to get on a freeway to go get groceries. Oh, man. Um, yeah. Friday afternoons trying to get on and off Hayden Island, man. <laughs> Right. Certainly, we want good bike pad access uh, on that bridge. Um, obviously, what I don't want is more auto lanes. So yeah. I think my test for whether the proposed bridge project works is, does it reduce vehicle miles traveled or does it increase them? Right. I mean, that's kind of become my acid test for most projects. Mm. In, a, in a world where we're trying to combat climate change, we have to stop increasing vehicle miles traveled. Um, and I, you know, using that as the test for transportation project really kind of turns things upside down. So, uh, be interested to see, you know, if I 
get a metro and get to that table, what the reaction is when I say, sure, we can do this, but we have to reduce VMT. And of course, congestion pricing is probably the key thing to do that. So, you know, you build a good physical facility, but you know, the only way to keep VMT down is to manage demand. And yeah. uh, I believe uh, that the region needs a congestion pricing system that covers the whole region, not just tolling specific sections of I-5 or I-205. I think we all know plenty of folks who uh, would love to be able to, to get back and forth um, and not be in a drive alone auto trip. What are we calling it? Would, <laughs> would much rather I think be able to. I think there are people who. Oh, sorry to hear my dog in the background. <laughs> I think I'm the stopping, term you're looking for is, is uh, lonely driver. Mm-hmm. Lonely drivers. <laughs> lonely driver. You're by yourself yeah. in a car. You poor thing. <laughs> Yeah, I think there are lots of folks who would uh, really appreciate having more options for getting back and forth yeah. across yeah. the river. Um, yep, for sure. And and Chris, uh, maybe this is asking you to read the tea leaves too much, but do you think that um, given the current uh, state of the budget at the state level, that that might cause um, our legislators to take another look at these projects. And, and I mean, is this moment going to, Aaron was asking me before, you know, some people are waiting to get back to normal, like maybe ODOT. Uh-huh. And uh, some people are <laughs> wanting, you know, a whole new approach. Do you think that things could be shifting because of this? Are you seeing any evidence of that? Or is that I mean, that's, that's certainly, that's my hope. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Cause of course, at the same time that, you know, the Oregon transportation commission approved the first $129 million for the Rose quarter project, which is federal money. They don't have any state money yet. That happens later. We'll talk about that. Um, you know, they put out a report to the legislature said, Hey, uh, our highway trust fund is going to be broke. So, you know, they rely on, Gas taxes flow into what's called the Highway Trust Fund in Oregon, uh, and they then spend that both to build projects and to do basic maintenance and to you know pay their staff and do the, all those other things. And they're basically got all these nice charts that says, hey, in a few years, we don't have any money to pay the staff or you know, repair potholes in the freeways, but we still have lots of money to build these big projects. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of beggars the imagination how they can keep those ideas separate in their head and see that they're not connected, but they managed to do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the specific dedication for Rose Quarter is uh, $30 million a year starting in 2022. So, you know, that'll come out of our gas taxes, and they would presumably use that to repay bonds that they would sell to pay for the project. Now, that, that $30 million a year was set when we thought this was a $400 million project, so we now know it's an $800 million project. And, you know, uh, if we do any of what Albina Vision wants, it's going to be more expensive than that. Um, so it's, you know, unclear if that, uh, you know, if that 30 million a year is sufficient for the purpose or not. And, you know, we've seen the OTC has already taken federal dollars they have access to and, and put them to this project. Mm. Um, but when we, when we talk about the transportation bond measure, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit about sort of what my campaign life looks like right now. Yeah. Uh, and at this stage, campaign in the time of coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that was interesting during the primary, you know, we had the last physical event we had was our kickoff event. And then we moved into online mode. So we did a lot of, uh, you know, zoom house parties, 
Um, and those were uh, successful for a while, but then it became pretty clear that people were tired of Zoom meetings. I, if you guys have probably experienced Zoom fatigue, right? Um, so we're trying to figure out what that will look like in the fall campaign, and that, that'll need to start up soon because we, you know, we do have to gather people to, in some form to uh, both convince them to vote for me and to raise money. But uh, you know, the biggest portion of my activity right now is just raising money. Um, we raised about $20,000 in the primary. Uh, my competitor raised about 90. Uh, oh yes. And I expect her to do that again. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to try and just out shout her. So, uh, I'm not trying to match her dollar for dollar, but, right. uh, I have to raise three or four times what I raised in the primary to be competitive. So basically I'm on the phone all day begging people for money. And since I'm, in the habit, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to uh, ask the Sprocket <laughs> yeah. listeners if, if they will help. Um, and in fact, we have set up a, a special fundraising URL just for Sprocket listeners. So, all right. So the call to action, you know, my main website is ChristopherMetro.com. But if you go to ChristopherMetro.com slash Sprocket, there is a fundraising form just for Sprocket listeners. Oh so my you gosh. can tell how much you're helping. Uh, so I urge you to go there and, you know, kick in whatever you can afford. Five bucks, ten bucks. If you can afford a hundred, please do it. And uh, uh, I'll highlight another difference between myself and my competitor. Uh, you know, amidst all my other wonkery, I've been a campaign finance wonk for a long time, recognizing that big money is at the root of a lot of problems in our politics. Um, so I am limiting my contributions to five hundred dollars per entity. So wow. please don't give me any more than five hundred dollars, even if you really feel like you have to stop at five hundred. Uh, and that corresponds to two ballot measures that voters passed, one for the city of Portland, one for Multnomah County, both of which uh, instituted $500 contribution limits, which the courts have just finally said are actually legal. So they're, they're going into effect this election cycle. There hasn't been anything for Metro, so there's no comparable requirement for Metro, but I'm observing the will of the voters and asking people to stop at $500. Right on. I mean, I was going to give you $5 million, but I understand. And so... <laughs> um, I understand. I, I respect your integrity. Um, so I'm going to change it to $25. <laughs> but I won't do that tonight. Well, thank you, Joan. I appreciate it. <laughs> because I respect you, Chris. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the math is challenging, right? So let, let's say that, you know, I still have something like 50000 to go, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are less than 100 days to the election. So that means any day I don't bring in $500 on the phone, I'm falling behind. Ah. Um, so that's, you know, one person giving me 500 or five people giving me 100 or uh, 10 people giving me 50 or, you know, 20 people giving me 25. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's obviously a, a combination of those, but it, it, it is a big hustle. And you know, our average contribution is a little bit over a hundred. So it's more like finding 500 people who are going to give me a hundred bucks. But you know, it's uh, in reality, it's a spectrum from $5 up to 500. And it seems that your opponent has some pretty deep pockets. Um, and I'm going to guess that she is not observing the, uh, you know, that self-imposed limit. She's not. She's taken a number of contributions, a thousand or above. Uh, and one notable one, she's taken uh, $9,000 from the uh, Portland Realtors Pack. Ooh. So, uh, that sounds like it could be a conflict of interest. Well, it's, it's yeah. It, it's part of my thinking about big money in politics, you know, right. the, I assume they expect something in return for that. Now I'm not going to say that Mary is selling out, you know, it could be a policy that she firmly believes in and they just happens to resonate with them. But, uh, you know, the appearance, um, 
create some trust issues with the public. Sure. That's why, you know, that's why Portland now has the open and accountable elections process where you, you know, collect small contributions and get it matched uh, with public funds, um, which is really changes the dynamics uh, of elections in Portland. Um, I would love to do that at Metro. So that's another one of my campaign planks is to have a public financing system for campaigns at Metro. Uh, that also allows uh, more diverse candidates. So mm-hmm. it, it again goes back to that Black Lives Matter issue. Uh, we can get a more diverse set of candidates if we take away this huge fundraising challenge. Yeah. Uh, right, because right now it's a lot more accessible to people who are already connected to people who have deeper pockets. Right. Yeah, yeah it is sort of one of the... the um, oh, as far as elections cons- are concerned, one of the unfortunate uh, consequences of of this time of of social isolation and um and just not uh being able to go door to door like like maybe you normally would is the fact that yeah if somebody's already connected to somebody who's connected to somebody who's connected to somebody if somebody's already got like means they're able to support uh, somebody um whereas people who maybe don't have access to information don't have access to means mm-hmm. they're just kind of left in the lurch but maybe part of a community network and the, yeah you know, the question is how do you yeah. empower that community network right. and that's what the matching provisions do uh and you know credit to my opponent you know she was majority leader when she was in uh in the Oregon house and you know, right the, the, the way you get to be, get to a leadership role um, like majority leader is you help raise money for fellow candidates. Um, so she was raising, you know, a quarter of a million dollars a cycle when she was majority leader. So she's got one hell of a Rolodex. Um, you know, I have a pretty deep Rolodex of people I've interacted with, but uh, they don't necessarily have the kind of deep pockets that the people <laughs> are Mary's Rolodex do. So deep uh, Rolodex, I have to make it up people power. Yeah. <laughs> Or they just might be folks who aren't as accustomed to giving money in that way. Right. You know, yep. folks who are, if they're younger or they're just not sort of from a background of people who, you know, are accustomed to having sort of influence or, uh-huh. or, or supporting candidates. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to some people in my network that you know, I deal with in policy circles who, you know, simply are not in the business of making political contributions. That's a new thing to them. They, they exert their influence on policy in other ways. And mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, I can do that. Wow. Interesting. (laughs) Um, One of the things I've actually just this year or this election cycle, have paid more attention to and contributed to uh, um, candidates. It's usually something like, well, I'm voting for them. So that's, that's good enough for me. Anyways, that, that, you know, personally, that, that was where I kind of was politically uh, active um and and volunteering my time for various people but uh as far as financially supporting given that i can't get out and volunteer my time as easily uh-huh. Uh-huh. i got i got more into into supporting financially um yeah. and i appreciated your contribution aaron thank you very much <laughs> oh you're welcome <laughs> um, yeah but you know obviously not everybody has the means to do that right you know, i, I one of the groups that's backing me is Sunrise, which is the youth climate movement. And mm-hmm. um, we had a, a moment in the primary campaign where uh, there was an organization that decided they were going to limit the number of candidates in the debate. and They were going to do it based on how many contributors we had. Mm-hmm. So I put out a call uh, to my base to say, you know, can you give me something, you know, five bucks, 10 bucks, just so I can up the number of contributors. Right. Yeah, and a lot of the Sunrise youth responded with five or 10 bucks. And that was great. So, hey. of course, now that we're in the general 
election. I'm calling everyone who gave me money in the primary saying more, more, more. Uh, <laughs> and yep, I talked to one of those Sunrise kids who was living in his car. Mm, so wow. I said, keep your money. You have better uses for it. So obviously the, the virus has changed what the landscape is yeah. for a lot of people. Um, so there's some people who simply can't participate. And uh, that makes me more grateful for the ones who can. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I was um, just going to say, Sunrise has been doing some really good stuff, and I'm sure that uh, support from them uh, meant a great deal as well. Yeah, that was one of the key endorsements for sure. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, so are there ways right now for folks, I, I understand that um, fundraising is really important, and I would encourage folks, again, even if they only have a few dollars to give to, to do that, or a, not $5 million, though, or 500 But um, are there ways that people can volunteer for you now, too, if they have time more than money? Or is that something you all are still so, thinking about? So uh, there will be. Um, you know, we're just starting to gear up. We're bringing out a staff person who will be our volunteer coordinator. Um, but there will be roles in the fall, uh, particularly probably around phone banking, uh, since we, you know, we can't. I don't think we're going to be able to go door to door in the fall unless, you know, we suddenly get a vaccine tomorrow. Um, you know, because it's right. It's the, the election is November 3rd and you're not even talking about reopening school until November 5th. Right. Yeah. So pretty sure we won't be going door to door. So we'll do a lot of it on the phone. So there'll definitely be phone banking opportunities. Um, we will have lawn signs before very long. So, you know, we'll be looking for people to uh, put up lawn signs and identify neighbors who will take a lawn sign. Uh, that's one way to build name recognition in the district. Um, so, and there'll probably be other roles. So we'll, we'll definitely have ways for people to volunteer. And if you go to the website now, there's a, there's a contact us form and there's a box you can check to be put on the list of volunteers for when we have those uh, activities. Again, the website is ChristopherMetro.com. Have there been any, um, obviously campaigning during the pandemic is, is uh, a huge shift. It's really different, but have there been any things that have changed that, that somehow feel like they're a, a positive thing or sort of an interesting or th- something that that's sort of a positive outcome that you wouldn't have expected otherwise that's come out of this moment? Um, well, you know, I already mentioned, I think it gave me an advantage over Cameron. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. positive for me, probably not so much for him. And in terms of the general process, um, you know, one thing we did that we might not have done before is we did not just phone banking, but text banking. So mm-hmm. send you a text message on your phone, which I think, um, there's a big generational divide. If you're as old as I am, you probably find that annoying. Uh, I think the younger folks are pretty used to that. So it's interesting. We kind of have to look at the demographics of the electorate and decide how to communicate with different groups. So uh, we probably thought about that a little more uh, because of the virus than if, if it hadn't been present. But you know, we're all trying to adapt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come back to fundraising and then we don't necessarily have to talk about fundraising anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm sure there's a, there's a number of people who donate um, or who are reluctant to donate because they're like, well, I don't, I don't know where my money's going. Um, Where, where would some of that spending happen? I know you've got a staff that you've, you've got to like pay or maybe they volunteer. I don't know. Yeah. So I'm, I'm fortunate and I have a volunteer campaign manager who right Joe knows very well. It's Aaron Brown. Who's you know, one of our oh, yeah. 
collaborators on No More Freeways, and Aaron has volunteered his time. He's been on this campaign a couple manager. times. He's yeah. managed a number of ballot measure campaigns, so he's very experienced. Uh, but we do have basically one full-time slot, and we're just bringing that on now and deciding whether it's going to be two people half-time or one person full-time uh, to basically coordinate volunteers and then to uh, to help me with the fundraising are the two roles. Um, so, yeah, we, we spend a few thousand dollars a month uh, on staff. Um, and then where the money goes, uh, we, we have a consulting firm, so we pay them a little bit every month to help us with our messaging and figuring other, other things out. But, you know, the bulk of it will go in talking to voters. So basically, this is a race to build up a pile of money that I can spend in October to talk to voters. And the, uh, the, the key avenues for that are uh, direct mail, um, online. We used online very effectively in the primary, um, and I think we'll do so again. Um, and as a combination of social media and online advertising, uh, you know, so you'll, you'll see Chris Smith pick up when you do, you know, when you do your Google searches, uh, if you're in a certain demographic, uh, and then possibly TV. I mean, the, the economics of TV are, uh, radically changing right now because, um, uh, there's less retail advertising going on because you know, people aren't going to stores, mm. right? So the prices have dropped, but then at the same time, there'll be competition from the presidential election uh, for that TV time. So we were, we're kind of watching where the prices are to see how you know, the, the cost of getting somebody's attention in a TV commercial compares to the cost of getting it you know, during their Google search. Um, so it's a pretty dynamic environment right now, but it will basically, the, the, the vast bulk of the money will go to talking to voters in one form or another. I, yeah, that's interesting to think about because, um, that, that there would be, that that money would be taken up, uh, by the presidential campaign, even, even here. Uh, well, I guess it's national spending that they do because, you know, Oregon isn't yeah. traditionally a very competitive state in presidential elections. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Right. But, um, and there will be, you know, there's a hot congressional race across the river in Washington that'll come mm-hmm. into the Portland market. Uh, cause you know, there's, some TV ads you can buy on cable that are they're very geographically parsable, uh, but a lot of the stuff you would say buy on a news broadcast is going to go to the whole market. So, you know, we have to look at you know if we run an ad the whole Portland port market, but it's only meaningful to people in District Five. How much efficiency are we losing versus what the base cost is? There's right. a whole lot of math we have to do. You know, that's why that's why we have the consultants to help us figure that stuff out. I feel like Instagram ads must be very affordable right now, given the mm-hmm. range of products that are being <laughs> advertised <laughs> to me lately. Mm-hmm. There's and, been like, like you could chart the whole pandemic basically in the, <laughs> in the, you know, first it was like all these meal delivery services and then, you know, things have shifted and now in the fall we'll start seeing all the political ads. On I just get a lot of hats advertised to me. Hats? Yeah. I, I made the mistake of looking into a bowler hat one time, and now now my Instagram <laughs> feed is yep one time. <laughs> now my Instagram feed is is just gentlemen's hats all over the place. <laughs> if you if you see me with a fedora or or a pork pie hat or something, just just kick me because I've fallen Nobody prey. Gotcha. To, yeah. I mean, I don't think you should try resisting because there's no. It's just a matter of when they get you to do what they want you to do. That said, I would welcome a Chris for Metro ad in my Instagram feed. It will okay. break up well, the You're likely to see one. Yeah, yeah. And a Chris for Metro ad with a bowler hat would be, you know, double. 
maybe you could um, do like a whole thing where you try the different meal delivery services. So you could sort mm. of go in with them. <laughs> no, don't. Don't. Yeah. Tell. I'm going to I'm going to text Aaron right now. We'll see what he says about that. Um, so I do want to take a minute and highlight something else that will be on the same ballot. So I you know, had the interesting mm-hmm. experience in the primary that uh, the homeless services measure was on the same ballot that I was on. And uh, I definitely stumped for that as I was out yep. campaigning for myself. Uh, we're going to have a similar situation uh, with another metro measure on the November ballot. And that's the big transportation measure, um, which is something I, you know, I mentioned 15 years ago when I was at TPAC. We were talking about when were we finally going to put together a regional transportation measure uh, to fund some of the, uh, you know, the badly needed investments in our transportation system. Uh, so that will be on the November ballot. Um, the Metro Council uh, went ahead with referring that a few weeks ago, and I testified in support of referring that. Um, I had to kind of go through a process on that because it's a pretty broad spectrum of investments, uh, and it includes, frankly, some things that just facilitate those drive-alone auto trips that I was talking about before. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a real mix. I mean, there, there's some good stuff in there. Uh, I have a few notes. So there's, you know, 25 to 30 miles of uh, bus lanes. So, you know, we, we started building the exclusive bus lanes in Portland. Uh, this would fund, you know, uh, a number of miles of those in corridors around the region. Uh, the package is really corridor focused, uh, and it deals with some of the corridors that are, you know, are frankly the worst in the region. Uh, I think of 82nd Avenue. Yeah. My TV mind highway. exactly to 82nd or Powell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the things that we call orphan highways, so things that were state highways that, that have now uh, you know, been bypassed by the freeway. So they're not, they're used more like city streets or arterials, yeah. uh, but there's, they still have those design standards from when they were highways and they're just and they're, really unfriendly places for human beings. They're still maintained uh, by uh, ODOT. Yes. Right. So the the process we talk about for that is jurisdictional transfer. And uh, you know, we've done that slowly with, uh, Things like MLK was at one time uh, a state highway that was or something, right? gradually turned over to Portland. Uh, but before the cities want to take those, they want them you know, rebuilt to the standards that are appropriate for city streets. So this measure will do that for a number of those key orphan highways, including 82nd and TV Highway. Um, and really, you know, from a climate point of view, the, the first lens I used on this package was climate, right? So what mm-hmm. does it do for greenhouse gases? And the answer was that it you know, reduces or reduces vehicle miles traveled and that kind of translates to greenhouse gases by about 25 million miles a year. And that sounds like a really big number, but you have to look at the denominator. Would you care to guess what the total vehicle miles traveled in the region is in a year? I couldn't even venture to Wait, guess. I'll guess. Okay, <laughs> go for it. No, I have no way of knowing. I'm going to say 5 million bazillion. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> It's seven and a half billion. Oh my! God. I was close. <laughs> so if you take twenty five million, if you take twenty five million out of seven point five billion, that's one third of one tenth of one percent. Yeah, that's quite so the think, drop. Can in you the say that number again? This is the vehicle sure. miles traveled. Vehicle miles traveled. So if we if we build all these investments through the package, it will reduce vehicle miles traveled and therefore a proportional amount of the greenhouse gases uh, by twenty five million miles a year. Uh, so which 25 million like, miles less driving, which sounds like a lot, but out of seven and a half billion, it's one third of one tenth of 1%. Mm, so I mean, the wow. best thing we can say is this package is climate neutral, right? Mm-hmm. Which at best it's climate neutral at best it's climate neutral. But the, the thing that won me over a couple things. So 
on the face of it, it makes some really important investments for equity and for safety. So it's taking those orphan highways and making them safe places. It's building, uh, let me make sure I get my number right, um, 40 to 45 miles of sidewalks in places where there are no sidewalks today. Uh, And a lot of the investments are going into places that are low income or high percentages of non-white populations. So, you know, it's helping those BIPOC communities. Um, It includes uh, programs that are important as well. So funding safe routes to school uh, and critically something I've been campaigning for, for more than a decade, uh, youth pass for the region. So our high school age youth will be able to, uh, you know, to ride TriMet for free. uh, And they hope eventually to, uh, incorporate the middle school grades as well. And that's a really, really critical investment. Um, and the other thing that I think is a little more forward looking, you kind of have to peel back the onion a few layers, uh, is it does have those exclusive transit lanes. And when we implement a congestion pricing policy, which again, a key part of my platform and the thing that will actually reduce greenhouse gases a lot, having those bus bypass lanes will give buses a way to get around the traffic congestion. Uh, so, it, so, you know, key part of my policy is do congestion pricing region wide, funnel that revenue to transit to deploy a lot more bus service. Uh, Cause that's the only thing we can deploy fast enough to make a difference for climate. Uh, and we have to make sure those buses don't get stuck in traffic. So the investments in this measure uh, will be a key, uh, a key to doing that. So I am supporting the measure going to campaign for it during my campaign and I hope Sprocket listeners will take a hard look at it and hopefully vote for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gonna, that's a good, thank you for being uh, pretty honest in your assessment of it and some of the things that could be better or maybe yeah. aren't ideal, but it, it, it goes down the path of getting us closer to some things that yeah. a lot of us would like to see. I do want to circle back a little bit to congestion pricing because I know that's sure. something that um, a lot of people can get on board with in principle or in theory, but then a lot of people sort of lose support when it comes to like, well, if you just make it one, like in, in execution, I guess. And, Mm -hmm. um, I was, uh, smart enough or forward thinking enough to go back and, and listen to some of your old episodes that you're on. Uh Uh, (laughs) And equity was like one of the most common, one of the most common words that, that you've said in, in previous episodes. So I know that this is, this is a value of yours. Um, how do you do congestion pricing in an equitable way? Because that is something where a lot of people will drop off the, the mm-hmm. congestion pricing bandwagon, so to speak. Right. Yeah, so it has to be equitable congestion pricing. And uh, I think how you how you make it equitable depends on uh, who you charge, what price, and then where you spend the money, right? Um, so, that, you know, currently there are at least two different efforts for congestion pricing of some form going on uh, in the region. Uh, ODOT's got a mandate to look at sections of I-5 and I-205 for what they used to call value pricing. They've gone back to just calling tolling, which uh, is probably a little more honest. Uh, But, you know, they they had a committee that worked for a year on on what that might look like and looked at some of the equity angles. Um, the, The challenge is if you do a piecemeal, I think it's much less effective. And, of course, if ODOT, runs the program, they're going to take the money and plow it back into widening the freeways some more, uh, which is clearly not an outcome we want. Um, And then the city of Portland has a committee looking at what they call equitable pricing. So the city is trying to look at what they might do on their facilities uh, and and do it in an equitable way. Um, But, you know, 
just solving Portland would not solve the whole region. So I really want to see a regional solution. Uh, and there is effort going on at Metro to design a system for the entire region. It's still mm. at the, you know, the technocratic wonky phase, but they're looking at all these issues internally in Metro. And I hope, uh, you know, one of the roles that Metro can play and I'd like to be part of is to, to bring the whole region to the table. Cause probably Metro would not be the implementer, right? Metro doesn't own any roads. We just do the planning for them. Um, so if Metro can design a system and then bring all the parties to the table to implement it, uh, I think that's our best hope. But um, you know, there's some obvious inequities we have to deal with. So, for example, you know, in Portland, we have displaced a whole lot of lower income people uh, out past I-205, right? If we're suddenly charging them to drive back into their jobs, we've done something wrong, right? right? So. Uh, one way to do this would simply be to means test the toll rate. So, and hopefully we don't invent new mechanisms to means test. We use the ones that, that are already there. So, you know, if, if you're on snap or your kids are getting free and reduced lunch at school, that, you know, that would qualify you for a much lower toll rate uh, to use the system. Uh, but then, you know, where we spend the money uh, is important because if we put it into transit and therefore that lower income family doesn't have to maintain an automobile, but there's, you know, uh, widely available transit service to get to those downtown jobs. You know, they walk out their door and there's a bus every 10 minutes or, you know, a connection to light rail. Uh, and it's, it's easy to make that trip without a car. Uh, then that's a big part of the equity uh, calculation as well, that we're providing other choices that lower uh, households overall affordability. Cause when we talk about affordability for households, it's housing plus transportation, right? The transportation piece in some cases could be as big as the housing piece. Yeah. Uh, and we need to look on the whole equation. Yeah, what good is a is is a house that I can afford if I can't get to work to be able to pay for the house that I can afford? Right. Yep. By having that regional youth pass could really, especially um, having it go for middle school students too. That that could be really transformative for a lot of yep. families in the area. I know that um, my kids are who are both in high school are uh, really comfortable taking the us around town and that's a that's a really great life skill that they that they have in addition to being just a really great uh way to you know uh, get around get around town and we're teaching the next generation what the right way to use the transportation system is right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah my um my older son had no interest in getting a learner's permit or driver's license and he said that you know he was and and yeah i was yes. like do you want to learn how to drive and he said why would i do that when i can take the bus so You're and that mom, wasn't like the, yeah, yeah but the, i mean right like yeah i don't think i can take credit for it right i mean i ride my bike a lot but we have a car and um yeah no i mean that's i think that's very much because uh he has that youth pass through you know the public schools right. here so i think that that touches on something that uh, was even mentioned in in uh, way in the way way back uh, episode one sixteen about making uh, in in the this was when you Chris had talked about the comprehensive plan comprehensive plan yes. yeah and and making uh, uh, all all travel w- under a certain. Uh, mileage right like under so one mile I'll test my like memory here walking. so you know under a mile it should be a comfortable walking trip yeah up to three miles it should be a comfortable bike trip and beyond right. three miles transit should be convenient right right and right. and i think that's really key is making transit the convenient one you know for right. those bigger trips versus you know riding in a car 
it's it's so easy right now to just jump in a car and and go and there's there's that autonomy and and um just the convenience factor of it but and sometimes a car is the only safe way to do it right and, yeah and a lot of times yeah. for that's for, a tremendous expense to bear to be safe right well and you know one of the big uh another way that a lot of equity issues can come in into play with that is that it's often um not always but it's often women who are transporting kids around um or if people are not you know, going if kids aren't going to their neighborhood school, so then they have to get a ride or there are all these errands and obligations. And so the better transit is and the more of a role or, and the more we have, you know, infill in these denser neighborhoods and the more you can, you know, walk to the grocery store rather than having to, to load right. up the whole family. Yeah, I saw a piece somewhere the other day that, that argued that transit was a feminist policy because it was you know, unburdening mostly moms from that kid transportation duty. Mm-hmm. That's a really Jones interesting nodding. take. I would love to read that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my kids aren't going anywhere now, but <laughs> that's, that's just right now that we aspire for them to be able to go places again in the future. Right on. Yeah. Well, Chris, thanks for coming. Oh, thank you. Always, I always love being on the sprocket. Yes. Always love having you. It's, it's like you're the most accessible wonk I've ever met. I'll take that as a high compliment. Yeah, that is a great. Yeah, that's actually. I feel. Yeah, that is a. That was a very good description. Yeah, <laughs> we get into the weeds, but I, I still come away going like, oh, I'm not totally lost. All right. <laughs> I know I could sit here for another hour and just ask you questions about like why are state highway departments the way they are? You know. <laughs> that could be. A whole have, to, have to get David Bragdon on the show for that one. Oh yeah, that. yeah, that would be that'd be an interesting conversation. I'm sure right on um any parting shots let's let's go back to fundraising chris for metro.com slash sprocket right on (laughs) get those ballots in everybody they haven't been sent out yet but they will be sent out soon and make sure you're registered to vote i think the registration deadline is sometime in september so oh yeah if if you don't vote you're not going to be heard Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there are some apparently other big races happening this fall so i've heard that (laughs) Cool. You want to stick around for our calendar and headlines and mail and whatnot? I'll be happy to do that. Thank you. All right. You ready for this, Joan? Yeah. I mean, I think so. All right. Um, um, You know, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) You know, well, I might be more ready, and that is because I have finished this refreshing hop soda from Lagunitas that I purchased at the Beer Mongers on Southeast Division and 12th. Thank you again, the beer mongers, for supporting us and our drinks. And uh, yeah, even even through uh, this pandemic, they they still continue to support us. So we're very appreciative. And those of you in Portland, they do have a patio outside their place now. And uh, if the Timbers are playing, you might get lucky and you might see a Timbers game with sound out there while enjoying mm. a tasty beverage. Now for. I love, I love, I love, I love, I love. Don't don't ever use that. Tim Mooney, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Our calendar is somewhat uh, changed here. We got a couple cancellations. The Swift Summit Northwest we've mentioned before is canceled. However, they are already uh, anybody who's already registered is automatically registered for next year, and they will be registering. Trevor's put out some pretty cool shirts, uh, kind of humoring. 
himself. It's a little graphic of a uh, of a medical face mask, and it says uh, Swift Summit 2020 crossed out 2021 underneath. <laughs> now I have time to train. Uh, so go check out the Swift Summit Northwest. Um, I don't know if those are for purchase or if he's just giving those out to people who've registered, but uh, check it out. It's pretty fun. Um, April 10th of 2021 will be the next Lads 500. It is also canceled for this year, which I think was a wise move on uh, DBR's uh, part. Yeah, that's a fantastic event. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to yeah. next April. I think yeah. I will pencil that in for now, sure. Now we got time to work on our costumes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, lastly, not canceled is the 18th annual Film by Bike, September 10th through the 13th. Um, it will be a series of interactive YouTube live streams. So go to filmbybike.com and uh, register. And now... What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? I like my bike is fast. I like my All right. We already talked about this, really. This first one came from the Willamette Week. Racial justice group Albina Vision Trust withdraws its support for the I-5 Rose Quarter expansion. Um, Winta Johannes has said we can no longer support this. She is the managing director of Albina Vision Trust. Um, and, yeah, we kind of already talked about this. Um, yeah, go Winter. <laughs> yeah. This is this is amazing. They've made some requests from ODA, and ODA has has never responded to them, and so they're just they're gonna withdraw their support. And I think that's a really good move. <laughs> There's really not much more to say that we haven't already said. You're not gonna so, get any disagreement from Jonah, right? On that, <laughs> right? no. I think that one was uh, that was uh, I was very excited about that news yeah. when I read it. That was one of the highlights of of this strange time i'd say <laughs> highlight of highlight of covid yeah mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. next up cycling this came to us sorry uh from outsideonline.com via listener peanut butter jar matt cycling along the underground railroad uh in september john shackleford a 25 year old new york city bike messenger will ride 1,114 miles along the Underground Railroad. He and a team of black cyclists will traverse a mix of paved and unpaved roads in the eastern and southern U.S. on a mission to increase representation in the cycling world. And I am going to see if I can get this to play for all of us to see. Okay. Pushing the limits of Zoom technology. I I am. How far have you ever ridden a bike? No. Where's that at? That's like all the way down here. Uh, what's that like, High Bridge? Yeah. Yeah, that's a nice trek. So I'm riding 1,100 miles. Yeah, I know. In September, in like 15 days. You think you can do that? Oh, you think you can do it? There it is. Honestly, I'd be just probably another kid in the hood. Cycling saved my life. Cycling has given me my first responsibilities, my first real job, first time I've ever been on a plane in my life was because of a bike. I knew that I stood out. 
liked it. I love it. It fueled me. Like, it, that shit made me, like, so hyped. Like, oh, I'm the only brother out here? Cool. We're going to show you how it's done, you know? Like, show you how we rip it. are being targeted. 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 Targeting men for biking while black. Where black people have come from, freedom from slavery, to where black people are today. Is there a difference? Are we free? I want to bike the Underground Railroad. No one on the Underground Railroad did it by themselves. Now is not the time to go solo. Because if you work better as a team, anything can happen to me, man. I can get killed. It can happen. I don't want people to think that it can't. And to be on a mode of transportation that I am, on the side of the highway, in God knows where, that's not safe in general. And to be black while doing it. I just want to inspire the youth kids who live in inner city areas, who've never been on a bike, who've never left their communities. I want them to experience the freedom of cycling. So let's go. Let's bike the Underground Railroad. You're going to hear our voices, you're going to speak our mind because our presence is known. Yeah, this has a, they've got a fantastic website and um, it's interesting because it looks like they're going to be traversing some pretty different kinds of surfaces. There's um, some off trail or not. Well, yeah, there's some trails, there's some pavement, there's all sorts of different kind of riding situations. And then somewhere on here, it said that it, it's going to end with a, like a critical mass ride in DC. Yes, in DC. Um, so I think there are some folks who may be interested in, in joining uh-huh. that. That's awesome. Looks pretty fantastic. Like, I'm really excited to follow this. So, yeah. thanks very much to uh, Peanut Butter Jar Matt. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sending that along. Um, I I don't know how available John would be, but I, I'll have to get in contact with him. Maybe we can get him on or have him send us some audio. That would be great. That'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? That'd yeah. be super cool. Yeah. Uh, Next up from How Stuff Works. This also came to us from another listener, Jay Lecco. Do bikes slow down car traffic? Actually, no. So says a study published in June 2020, the glory days, in Transportation Research Record Journal of Transportation Research Board, three researchers from Portland State University found that on low-speed, low-volume roads, city roads... Ones without bicycle lanes, motor vehicle speeds varied by one mile per hour or less when bicyclists were present. I find that very enlightening. Um, Somebody who uh, I work with, uh, many people who, well, we're drivers, you know, we we drive buses. And one of the sort of common complaints is how that, you know, I'm stuck behind a bicyclist. I can't get anywhere. And... uh, you know, this, this feels very uh, validating for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm always amazed, you know, the people who insist on zooming past me, you know, making, getting in, in the wrong lane, <laughs> going past me, and then I catch up to them at the next stop sign or the next red light. It's right. Like, it didn't matter, guy. Come on. <laughs> How much time did you save, Ray? It's like they're, it's like they're, um, 
offended or insulted if they can't, if they're behind a, a somebody on a bike sometimes, it seems like. I've kind of chalked it up to um, what I call commuter culture mm-hmm. and, and needing to get from point A to point B um, mm-hmm. in as little time as possible. Um, and maybe this is just car culture, but yeah, any obstacle, whether, whether it's a bike, a uh, scooter, you know, even, even a moped, it's often seen as just a, a huge inconvenience. Um, but anyways, back to this study, uh, it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's just one mile per hour or less. Um, this article is really informative and I would encourage everybody to, to read it. Uh, and lastly, in our headlines, this is this is more of a, an announcement, maybe, or just uh, letting everybody know that there is a new podcast around. Um, a good friend of mine uh, by the name of uh, Matthew Mendez, who's been on the show in episode 362, has put together a podcast uh, called Wheel Nice. Uh, <laughs> took a listen to it. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, it's a great name. <laughs> Uh, very informative. Uh, I think I think he's he's got uh, he's got a little bit of Chris Smith in the making. Very numbers oriented. Um, this guy's done his research. Uh, for the first episode, he starts off talking about uh, death while cycling and the number of cyclists uh, nationwide uh, that have that have been killed while while cycling. And um, just he he takes it head on. But he also uh, he also has enough sense of humor to to keep you going along with it, and that was our headlines. You are now an operator of a wheeled vehicle. Well, Joan, you know what we have? We got mail. Hey, we got mail. I don't know the I don't know the things very well. <laughs> That, that is I kind of on me. <laughs> I need somebody with a cue card. <laughs> I mean, I think maybe we have some was, mail. <laughs> I was. I I apologize. That was that was kind of on purpose. You you know you just swung that right at me and it hit me right in the face. <laughs> like when you're turning around a corner and like someone throws a towel at you or whatever, like you're catch just to freak you out. Would you like to read this since I've already embarrassed you? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, mail. This is a, a pitch from Jay uh, Leco, Leco, um, and it says, "Hello, uh, Sprocket Podcast. Had an idea for reading the show credits. What if show listeners recorded themselves reading the credits into something like the Voice Memos app on their phones, then send them into you? You could mix and match them and play them back." At an episode conclusion, you could also get creative and intersperse recorded bits with the live host. I think the NPR show Radio Lab has done this for a while and even include their guest reading sponsors. It'd be another way for listeners, supporters to potentially contribute to this community during this unnormal period. I think listeners would enjoy hearing something like, this is peanut butter jar mat. The Sprocket podcast is recorded, well, at least used to be, at X-Ray Studios. Thanks for your consideration from Jay. That is a great pitch, and I'm going to throw it back and say, "Okay, Jay, you first. Because I think this is a <laughs> who, really good me, idea. And, say who me? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think this is a really good idea. Jay Leco, 
because it's such a good idea, I want I want you to do yours first. Uh, but uh, Chris, we will be knocking on your door, so to speak, <laughs> right. for yours. <laughs> Uh, and anybody else who's listening um, and who's been supporting the show, one, thank you. But two, if you want to record something uh, along the lines of our uh, of our credits on on your phone and send it along to uh, to us, we would definitely splice it in to our outro. I think that's a great idea. That's it. We've done it all. We, all right. we have reached the end of all things. I'll start with some music and. Uh, yeah, I give you a point. But okay. I also want to take some time. Chris, one more time. Read that URL. ChrisforMetro slash Chris com slash sprocket. Awesome. Thank you again Chris, for it was great to see us. you. Yeah. yeah, wonderful to see you. Yeah, and thanks so much for bearing with my uh, distracting questions and <laughs> otherwise lack of uh, any understanding of nope. what exactly we're doing here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And I, I do want to reiterate, the zoo is open now. I found that out today. The zoo is open. The zoo is open, zoo is open. and yep. and uh, bring your FM radio and bike into movies at the expo. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's do this. The Sprocket Podcast was formerly produced at X-Ray FM Studios. Thank you, X-Ray. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to the sprocket podcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and Instagram at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Hurtbird for our headline sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to the generous support of our Patreon supporters and listeners. Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazenski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Wise, Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt, who's, who's a, time, a traveler. time traveler, Chris Smith, who's right there <gasps> on my screen, <laughs> Caleb Jenkinson, JP Cooley, uh, and then another guest appearance, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, who is standing right over there off screen. <laughs> Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G. Guthrie Straw, who's out in the woods. Aaron Green, author of We Were Like Sons and founder of the Reed Granary. Campsite, Mackner's David, Nathan Poulton. Rory in Michigan, Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay. Tim Coleman, Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran. Hi, EJ. Brad Hipwell, Thomas Gato, Keith Hutchinson. Thanks for the grape soda, but not grape soda. It's sparkling water. Ranger Tom, Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tam. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grossbeck, Chris Barron, Chris, Chris Barron, Barron, Chris Barron. Chris Barron, Sean Baird, Simon Pace, Gregory Braithwaite. Ryan Morrow, Dude Luna, Matthew Rocks. Rooks, sorry, Matthew Rooks. Kaka! <laughs> you, you're supposed to call at that. <laughs> you can call Marshall Paulette Funatake Cyclecraft. Philip N. Spartan Philip M. Spartandale. No, no relation. relation. Mr. T who never really left Bike Initiative Kiwinaw Sarah G. Adam D. Go dig a hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy, Myra Martinez, Oso. 
Isaac M. David Christensen, 503. Byron Patterson, JT, our newest donor, Kirsten Graham. And all of our former donors who helped us get this far. Now, wash your hands. And wear your mask. Yes. And now, here are Guthrie's updates from the road. Hey, Sprocketeers. It's Guthrie checking in. Might be a little bit of wind and a little bit of car noise with this recording. But I felt inspired and Brock recommended doing a voice recording and emailing it. So this is that try. Uh, Day four, day five. Uh, I'm like one day off, anyway I think of it, but I'm keeping a journal so I can remember what I've seen of what I'm officially dubbing the Humor First bike tour back to my birthplace of Enterprise, Oregon. Um, yesterday was a fun day. It got up to uh, 93 degrees, something like that. I don't know. I just biked. I got a water bladder, three liter filled up in the back, three water bottles, and struck out of the Lower Mecca campsite on my way towards Prineville, where hopefully there was a bike shop that was still in business to get some patches. Uh, I'd spent the night previously picking out uh, go-heads, as I think I mentioned, and so yesterday consisted mainly of pumping every hour, or going a little bit further and then realized I was going super slow, and then pumping whenever I felt like it. Um, But I made it up, and am close to slash, slash up into the Ochico National Forest. Uh, beautiful place. Some nice high desert grasslands that you can get to bike through. And off the main stretch now, so you can hear cars, but you don't hear drivers every 30 seconds, which is very nice. Uh, I was stopping every 15 to 30 minutes, a little bit towards the end, because I was really freaking hot and tired even though it's only like 40 miles or so, which is still no distance to shrug at on a hot day, or any day for that matter. I got into Prineville and stumbled into, oh, just, I'm I'm getting so many like campsite of requirement, park of requirement, and this was a bike shop of requirement for any of our Harry Potter fans. It's just, you know, like, you show up and uh, it's exactly what you need. Super nice folks over at Good Bike Co. in Prineville, Oregon had not only 26 by 1.5 in Presta, which is awesome, but they had patch kits. <laughs> Oh, it was so nice. I also bought a pair of gloves. Because my gloves, the Velcro, they're like 10 years old, so the Velcro is like worn off. But the uh, 
I think they're enduro gloves. I cannot recommend. I wore them for like oh, half an hour and they just don't have padding. So I think I might take the Velcro from the new gloves and put them on the old gloves because the padding on the old gloves is still good after that much time even though the fabric's pretty much bleached off the hands at this point. Um, yeah. You really get to know what kind of uh, brands you can trust or stand behind on a long-distance bike trip. A couple of cars going by. Probably some wind. Oh, here's the hill section. So, um... Got into Prineville and... It was like, the bike shop had a really nice chat with them, started by the former founder of Fat Tire Farm in Portland. We chatted about Portland and uh, living the rural life, which he's been doing for a good amount of time now. And then right across the street was a walk-up takeout window for black gray milkshakes and jalapeno spicy burgers that you could make double so I made it a double and asked for two large waters please which they were happy to oblige so then I took my burgers burger two patties, one burger and went over to the city park right across the street from there I'm telling you, it's this room of requirement stuff and I sat in the shade for an hour and then when I was done with that, and fully sated, I uh, walked across the street once again to chase and broke some of my 20s, which they were happy to do, thankfully. So, all in all, good stop. Prineville. It probably has what you need. Uh, from there I went downhill to the Ochico Reservoir, and really nice county campsite there. It's kind of the most human interaction I'd had in the trip up to this point. Um, I'll put it this way. I, I'll wear my mask. That, that, I, that I have control over. But did meet some nice folks. Uh, four guys who are biking to, I think it's Portsmouth. So they started in Astoria and had made it to that point. Uh, one, a retiree. The other just sold his practice as an oral surgeon. And I didn't get the backstory on two of the other guys. But it was really nice to chat bikes. So we chatted bikes a lot. And just kind of gear and those things you do in a campsite with other fellow cyclists. And I also... Just got to swim in the reservoir, do a little bit of wash as well, and get stuff up to dry. I was full for the night, so I didn't bother with cooking dinner. And uh, it was really interesting. There was another couple who had three little kids, and they... More cars? They had... Uh, tried to get out to uh, Mitchell, which is the town I'm biking to right now, but their car had been having trouble, so they had one of those trips where you go out and then 
car breaks down, so you see a mechanic and you head out again. Car breaks down again, so you go back and you see I had sounded like another mechanic, or maybe the same mechanic twice. So they rolled into camp around 7 o'clock, and uh, I just got to put out for public record. That's a very frustrating experience, and uh, I wouldn't call it type 2 fun, because like... Well, I hope it's type 2 fun for them, eventually. But uh, if you have young kids, they, uh, they do pick up and they do listen and they do observe how their parents interact and face challenges in this world. And I have to say, um, the parents were not showing them their best selves and I thought that was understandable but also a shame. It, uh, I eventually decided to put in earplugs because honestly it brought up a lot for me about my parents' interactions in the past, especially when me and my sister were kids. It's not that either of them were independently right or independently wrong. It's just that they weren't communicating and that can be really frustrating. Uh, especially when you're seven or eight and you are tired and have also had a long day and you, you kind of just want to get the tent set up, but it seems to be that impossible task over which there's much uh, projecting and consternation. So parents out there, um, stay strong. It's a hard fight and I have a lot of respect for those who are. Um, yeah, just wanted to share that. Because I think uh, in the moment, and this is how I've come to understand it, is it's nothing intentional we do, uh, but it's what we, it's what we give off. And uh, that's an important thing to think about. So, with that said, biking out to... Oh, there's a fellow cyclist. Hello, fellow cyclist. Have a good ride. Heading the other direction. Yeah, with that said, um, you know, it can be a bit tongue-in-cheek, but remember to find the fun in the suck. And, uh, you know, as possible, remember that we are all role models for our children and the children we're around. So keep that in mind. All right. Whew, that was a big truck. Uh, love you all. Stay safe. Uh, Guthrie out. Hey, Sprocket Podcast. It's Guthrie. Checking in with a day five summary. Uh, whew, today was eventful. Well, yesterday was eventful. Oh, I think my bike's gonna blow over. Nope, it's not. Okay. 
Oh, wow. Oh, so I should probably preface this with I just almost fucking ate it off a cliff. Um, I'm headed down the grade to the John Day River, and it's pretty windy. It's, pre- it's probably like a 7% grade at parts, maybe 8%. Uh, and it's, it's just one of those like 10 mile descent type deals, which is super fun. But there was this pylon, kind of like a rock plug or rock formation, similar to, um, French's dome. If anybody's familiar with that or wants to look it up off the side of the road. And my curiosity for climbing potential got the better of me. And I found myself looking at the rock instead of the road. And soon enough, I was off in the gravel and there just happened to be a turnout <laughs> where I went in. So I kind of like cut the turnout and uh, like put the back brakes on a little bit because if I had feathered the front, I, the wheel just would have gone sideways. It was pretty soft. Um, and I aimed for like the connection point of the end of the turnout back with the road and just. I don't know how I fucking did it, but I did it. <laughs> so I am in the shade, uh, taking a break from my adrenaline. And I thought that I might as well, uh, leave a voice message for you folks. Oh, I'm so glad I did not crash. I hate crashing. Crashing sucks. Dying sucks, but crashing sucks too. I will aim to continue to not do either of those. Um, yeah. So yesterday I started out from the Ochiko Reservoir, um, and misspoke, I think, on the last message. I hadn't biked through the Ochiko Forest yet, uh, because I did yesterday instead. Um, notes from my journal. I have decided to start calling my clip-in shoes Greaves, because they feel like Greaves more than they feel like shoes, and Greaves is a fun term. Instant coffee and mashed potatoes are not friends. They are edible, but they're not friends. Um, and I met two bikers, two fellow cyclists who may be potentially, I hope so, I hope they join, uh, joining us for a future Zoom call, um, because they are cycling from the coast to Colorado, um, Finn, one of the gents, and Lucille, um, I think he's, if I understood correctly, he's starting school there, uh, so they're going to check in when they're done with their trip and we can talk with some folks who've done longer bike touring during COVID. Uh, We had a really fantastic chat and just kind of met in the park in Mitchell, Oregon. And the park had restricted all camping except for RV camping, maintaining six feet of social distance, which I found a little bit odd because you can totally maintain six feet if you're tent camping too. Um, But being that they were just fresh out of school and that I am not just fresh out of school. I was like, I'm just going to keep going because you guys can play, play innocent towards any authorities if they decide to give you crap. Uh, whereas I don't get as much of that luxury. So, um, on my way between the Ochako Reservoir and the town of Mitchell, uh, I have wanted to do a project this project and like do a blog post and potentially like a I don't know I've got like I get a lot of ideas when I bike tour um but like a presentation um 
because I stopped 91 times in the 30-ish mile stretch. And basically, as I was riding, I took a photo of every single dead roadkill animal that I found. So that's everything from, like, deer way down towards, like, I guess, like, what was the smallest thing I saw? Probably, like, a little hornet or... Oh, fly. I've got some flies. I took some photos of flies. Um, So I want to compile them into, like, a list because I think another thing that you really notice when you're on bike tour is roadkill. And for me, it's just kind of the... It's, like, one of those, like, hidden reasons why I prefer to bike places when possible or per, you know if I have a choice between a vehicle and a bike I like to go with the bike more often because um, roadkill has been something that has been like I don't know it's always like affected me I can name if you press me I could pr- probably name every single um, like animal that I've hit while driving since I started driving I, it just kind of is upsetting to me um, and then yeah, I just wanted to document that and had nowhere better to be. So that's what I did. Every time I saw something, I stopped. Um, I also found a little free library, which was freaking awesome. It had a guest log in it and hadn't had an entry since like 2018. So I don't think very many people find that library um, or they don't sign the guest log, which is totally possible as well. Uh, but there are some really inspiring messages and some really powerful stories. Uh, one gent, just off memory, had signed the guest log and was thanking the Little Free Library um, folks because he had wanted something to read. And he was walking to the East Coast from the West Coast with his dog and was appreciative of that opportunity to finally get a book. Um, stuff like that. It Just those little reminders that... Um, I think some parts of the world are still okay. I met my first trail angel, uh, somebody who is also a fellow bike tourer, and they topped me off with water, which is really good. Um, I kept on going from Mitchell. I went like another 20 miles, and then I found a National Forest Service road. And I thought I went three miles, but apparently it went seven miles, and it went seven miles basically straight up. It was probably like an 8% grade at parts. Um, I started the, I started at nine o'clock at night and I got up there at like 1030 and I think I got like a little bit of heat exhaustion, um, or at least the symptoms according to the National Outdoor Leadership School slash Wilderness Medical Institute booklet that I have because I have a full first aid kit because I, I like traveling that way. Um, so I did what I could to like cool down and I couldn't keep water down uh, and I couldn't keep food down, but I was able to cool my body off and we'll be paying a lot more attention towards heat management today because it was only, well, fuck, it was like 96 yesterday. Um, and I think it's going to be about that today. So I started like spraying myself with water to get an evaporative effect, um, which I hope will help with that. Um, passed by two cows out of the fence and then later talked to some ranchers who were like oh yeah I I can't remember whose cows they were but they were like their cows always do that and I was like ah yes that sounds about right some cows are just uh, fence jumpers and um yeah got to sleep super late last night just put a put a sleeping pad on top of a park or on top of a um bench 
and tried my best to sleep. So I'm a little low on sleep right now, but I'm hoping to get better sleep tonight. And um, it's a fun day down into John Day. I might put the raft in. We'll see kind of what it looks like. And if not, it's going to be a super fun climb back out of there because it's going to be probably 10 or 15 miles worth of hill get to get back up on the plateau. Um, that is my story. I hope you're all doing well. I'll catch you later. Cheers. Hey, Sprocket Podcast. It's Guthrie. Uh, today, the daily update for day... Oh, crap, I can never remember what day it is. Today's today. Um, road from, I think it's called Barnhouse Campground to the summit or, like, overpass of, um, this spot in the Malheur National Forest. Um, went down close towards John Day and then came up, like... <laughs> about 4,000 feet last night, uh, rode for about 13 hours and made it 77 miles, which is pretty good because in my brain I was like, oh, maybe, maybe today, maybe today is the day you break a hundred. Um, <laughs> nope, 77 miles. Uh, so I got in at like 11 o'clock at night and found this forest service improvement or like access road at the top of the summit or the top of the pass um and just went up that which was another eight percent but i found this really nice pull out to camp in um maybe about a half mile from the main road so you could hear some of that in the background yesterday um did a little bit better heat management and uh recovered from the adrenaline rush of almost going off a cliff, which is good, I guess. Um, stopped in Dayville, and I got not one, but two Gatorades, because it was fucking hot. It was just so hot down there. Um, but I took those and I chugged them, and then Dayville has this nice city park that happened to have the sprinklers on, so... I took a coffee nap with a cool cloth on my head, and then I went and played in the sprinklers, and laughed like a kid again, and it was really nice. So around this time, it was about 3 o'clock, and a front had just accumulated right over Dayville, um, and so there were starting to be murmurs of thunder, and the front picked up and went downhill which was also, in my case, downwind. Um, so for about an hour, I just kind of chased the front and had this, like, oh, I had this magnificent tailwind. It was probably, like, 20 to 30 miles an hour and, like, gusting in places, and it was almost all tail. Um, it was pretty good. There was, like, branches being blown off of trees and tumbleweed tumbling everywhere and... Just enough thunder that you're like, hey, thunder, but not enough thunder that you're like, oh shit, I'm on a bike in the middle of a valley. Um, but it was a low point, as in I was the lowest point in the valley, so I guess that was also okay. Um, and I can't remember where I heard it, but I had heard that when storms roll in, 
if the birds are still active instead of kind of shuttered in, that it's going to blow itself out or it's going to be a short storm. And the birds were definitely pretty active, and the storm did indeed sort of calm itself out, um, which brought me down through, um, yeah, down through my turnoff after Dayville, which, um, yeah, then I just I climbed a mountain for fun last night. So, anywho, um, I can see again. It's daytime. I need to go get some water. I filled last night in a ditch underneath the bridge, which was, I've been trying not to drink that water. I do have a filter, but there were a ton of um, starlings that were nesting under the bridge, and so there was like bird shit everywhere. And it was definitely a cow um, crick as well. So <laughs> I had like a sip before I was like, wait a minute, I still have water in my water bladder. <laughs> what am I doing? Um, so I'm hopefully going to hit uh, Long Creek in about half an hour going down from the pass and dump out all my water, do a little bit of dishes, and have a slightly better source. Um, although it, it should be fine. I don't feel Giardia yet uh, from the bit I drank last night. And that is my story. Um, I hope to make it to the Grand today. If I'm feeling saucy uh, or sassy, I might try to make it all the way into Wallawa, um, but that would be more like a 24-hour ride. I think I could do it. We'll see how I'm feeling. Need to need to go get some food. All right. Uh, yeah, gosh, so many thoughts, but I'll save them for another time. Hope you're all doing well. Guthrie out. Hey, Sparka Podcast. It's Guthrie. I made it. I'm in my mom's house, and my sister and mom are here, and we had a social distance dinner down at Minam last night, which was super nice. First time the Straw family had been in the same place in seven years, or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. Anyway, I uh, should be back next week, and look forward to catching up with folks. Hope everyone has been okay. And go ride your bike. Love y'all. See you soon. Bye. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and I hope you have an amazing week. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.